Hello, I'm Jim White and welcome to It's Friday, your arts and culture guide to this weekend. Coming up, James Norton is a Welsh journalist in Mr Jones, breaking the news of famine in the Soviet Union in the 1930s. This is Gareth Jones in London. Listen, I'm on my way to Moscow. Gareth, I've been trying to reach you. Paul, I need your help again, this time arranging an interview with Stalin. And this week, we said goodbye to the 103-year-old Hollywood legend, Kirk Douglas. Free man dies, he loses the pleasure of life. Slave loses pain. Death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he's not afraid of it. That's why we'll win. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify and leave us a review. But first, it's the 92nd Academy Awards ceremony taking place on Sunday, the earliest the Oscars have ever aired. Joining me to share their predictions are the Daily Mail's film critic Brian Viner and the Daily Mail's TV critic Claudia Connell. After sweeping the boards at the BAFTAs, will Sam Mendes' 1917 do the same at the Oscars? You have a brother in the 2nd Battalion. Yes, sir. They're walking into a trap. Your orders are to deliver a message calling off tomorrow morning's attack. If you fail... It will be a massacre. For many a television viewer, Rebel Wilson was the highlight after she presented the award for Best Director. The Australian actress and comedian appeared on the stage at the Royal Albert Hall and took aim at everything, including a film she's appeared in herself, Brian Viner's favourite, Cats. As Graham was saying tonight, is all about sustainability. So I made this dress by sewing two old dresses together. The red is from that one time I didn't win Miss Australia. And the black is from a funeral I just went to for the feature film Cats. Meanwhile, Joaquin Phoenix maintained his reputation as a loose cannon, albeit a rather po-faced one, when he collected the Best Actor Award. I think that we send a very clear message to people of colour that you're not welcome here. Um, I think that's the message that we're sending to people that have contributed uh, so much to our medium and our industry and in ways that we benefit from. Maybe he can get Rebel Wilson to do his script if he gets an Oscar. Um, Brian, do you think this was a kind of lead-in for the Oscars? Is this Oscars light, the BAFTAs? Uh, <laughs> they'd hate, hate to hear you say <laughs> that, Jim. They take themselves very seriously, the BAFTAs. The last two years, actually, they've been... 10, 12, 15 people who've won at the BAFTAs who've then gone on and won at the Oscars. So, uh, yeah, I think so. Is, is 1917 going to... I don't think it'll sweep the board. I think it's got a very good shout of being best picture. It's kind of the... It's sort of the safe option in a way because Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood divided people a bit. And so it's got a chance, although I, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood could could win for Tarantino. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. Ooh. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. I also think, as a sort of sneaky outside bet, it wouldn't amaze me if they gave it to Parasite, which would be the first foreign language film, South Korean film, very good 
very funny film and we'd play a clip if only we understood what on earth they were saying <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a possibility that it that they might give it to, to Parasite Roma last year if you remember was uh, heavily tipped to be best picture and wasn't that was foreign language so that could win but um, yeah wouldn't surprise me if 1917 won mind you if once upon a time in Hollywood won at least Quentin Tarantino might crack a smile oh, the camera yeah. kept <laughs> on know. going to him at the BAFTAs and I he looks so miserable so miserable yeah I think I think there was just the kind of faintest glimmer of a smile when Brad Pitt won for Best Supporting Actor which was from from that movie but yeah he looked yeah he really didn't look happy to be there did he at all yeah. <laughs> uh, Claudia the ceremony itself is a television experience it took up most of BBC yeah. One's output on Sunday was it any good as a TV programme? I think Graham Norton did his best and I you know I, I adore Graham Norton I love him on his chat show but I I, I think the BAFTAs is, is such a, a poison chalice as a gig I mean Stephen Fry did it for years and I I, I couldn't actually watch it when he was presenting I, I couldn't bear him he just seemed to make you <laughs> seemed to make every single award about himself it was it was extraordinary I think Graham did a better job but it, it, he yeah it, he still bombed quite heavily in places I felt hey, and the Irishman 10 nominations ladies and gentlemen Also released on Netflix, prompting the director Martin Scorsese to implore people to respect the film by not watching it on their phone. And didn't really need to worry. I mean, whose battery lasts that long? Did you think they could get Rebel Wilson to do it next year? She was terrific. She that was, was just very funny, she fresh. She was, yes, yeah. Brian's all-time favourite actress, Rebel. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I, no, I thought she was great. She was funny, yeah. I don't love her persona on, on screen always, you know, when she's acting, because it's always the same, that kind of boorish, crass persona. But yeah, she was very, she was very funny. She was, yeah, maybe yeah, she, she should. Was, Perhaps yeah. it was an audition, you know. Maybe she, yeah. was, she was thinking, well, I can't be worse than anybody else who presents these things. But the Oscars on on, on Sunday won't even have a presenter do no, you think that's the way the BAFTAs might go get rid of them all together I, I think it's an idea it's hostless it's the second year running I think so last year was the first year because um, the comedian Kevin Hart was meant to present and he had to pull out at the last minute because some offensive tweets he'd made were unearthed and it, it actually worked really well not having a host so they're doing it again this year so it, it could be something that the BAFTAs should consider what, what's extraordinary is that when you think uh, Graham I like you I'm a huge mm. fan of Graham I think he's wonderful on his show uh, his ad-libbing is, is brilliant yeah. but when you think of all the talent the comedy writing talent that there is in the, in the, in the whole in the movie industry that nobody can sort of script because obviously it's all scripted but nobody can script funnier lines for somebody like Graham Norton who delivers good lines so well it's bizarre isn't it I don't know why it, that it is, is odd when, yeah, especially when you consider Ricky Gervais at, at the Golden Globes yeah, well Ricky Gervais yeah. at the Golden Globes was very um, didactic no one can make any political speeches well at the BAFTAs everyone oh. was including Brad Pitt's words read out by Margot Robbie about Harry okay he starts by saying hey Britain heard you just became single welcome to the club <laughs> wishing you the best with the divorce settlement blah 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 he then says uh, thank you to the academy for this extreme honor that he is going to name this Harry because uh, he is really excited about bringing it back to the states with him And Brian, what about the uh, Best Actor Awards? Because they looked pretty similar to what you imagine the Oscars are going to be. Yeah, I, I, I think the four, if, if you consider there to be four, uh, basically, f 
four important categories of, of acting best actor best actress supporting uh, I think they might go exactly the same way I think Joaquin Phoenix is going to be hard to overlook because I personally thought his performance in Joker was the standout performance of the year I thought he was brilliant and best supporting actor Brad Pitt I think probably will get it uh, at the Oscars actress I thought um, Renée Zellweger was you know it was a, it was a great performance uh, Judy wasn't necessarily a fantastic film it was flawed somewhere over the rainbow well that sounds familiar <laughs> judy this is our band leader bert rhodes uh, bert judy it's an honor to be working with you miss garland i've been an admirer for a long time well i like this one he could stay but she gave a great performance i think the academy will uh, will endorse that and best supporting actress Laura I thought Florence I would have loved Florence Pugh to get it for her performance in Little Women just because I love Little Women so much and I'd love to see it recognised but Laura Dern was great uh, in Marriage Story and I think she'll get it too so actually it could follow the BAFTAs exactly on Sunday night Final thought uh, Brian you think those four and and for best um, movie I I have a feeling that uh, yeah I think those four will win best movie I have a slight fancy that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will win and Best Director uh, which was won by Sam Mendes uh, at the BAFTAs Again, I have a slight hunch that they might give it to Scorsese for The Irishman. You and think Scorsese might well, get that? Possi- I mean, I think they're still trying to make amends for the fact they've only given him one Oscar for The Departed for as best best director, having missed all those you know works of genius that he that he did in the seventies and eighties, Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and so on. So I think they're still trying to make amends, and I think they might thinking you know well he's knocking on a bit. I think we let's just give him let's bung him this this Oscar so he could well get it. Yeah, and, and Claudia is. A- a final thought the BAFTA's television is uh, now sort of shunted back to when does that come out May or something isn't it yeah I think it's in the middle of the year yes yeah. maybe they should put them back together again they used to didn't they they used to do it as one mm. show that went on for like you know a day and a half it seems so <laughs> I don't think we want to make it any longer no. uh. heaven forbid <laughs> <laughs> we'll all be tuning in or maybe not Now, you might know him as the man with the giant mobile phone. Hello? Yeah! Yeah, I'm in the library, yeah! Or the author of Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. But having been the star of a number of his own television shows, a former diplomat and a political producer turned columnist, Dom Jolly certainly isn't shy to success. So what's next for the funny man? He joins us now. Dom, are you still shouting down the phone whenever you speak? Well, I can now if you want, but no, not particularly. It was the 20th anniversary on the 14th of January was the 20th anniversary of the first Trigger Happy going out in wow. 2000. And yes, still to this day, in fact, just this morning, I'm in Oxford at the moment, and as I came into a restaurant, someone shouted, hello, at me. <laughs> and I'm ashamed to say that 20 years on, I still don't really have a good reply. I'm just like, hello. <laughs> uh, it's very odd. And actually, I get a lot of hello, I'm on the phone. And really, I never shouted that. So it's quite odd how, how catchphrases get uh, get changed. But no, sadly, I've not been able to monetize the word hello. Hello. Apparently, Paris Hilton once tried to monetize her catchphrase, which was apparently, that's hot. 
Um, but hello, I've been trying to get everyone to pay me a little fee every time they say hello. It'd be rather good. So it, far, not successful. It'd be rather good. It'd be like the Channel 4 Ident tune, which the, the guy who wrote that sort of got a pound every time it played. That's what you need with hello, don't you? Yeah. Well, I'm also, I'm still going after, because when I chose the, the ringtone for the phone, it was called Grand Valse. And I chose it because it was a particularly annoying ringtone, the sort of thing that every idiot on a train who turns it into an office had on. And then literally, as Trigger Happy happened, Nokia sort of acquired that tune and, and it became the Nokia tune. And so it was actually a very clever bit of guerrilla marketing to me because every time someone got a Nokia phone, if they didn't change the ringtone, that would ring. And it kind of was like a Pavlovian dog people would think about Trigger Happy. But again, not monetized it. As you said, 20 years, the, the phone has changed completely for us. If you were going to do it, you did, you, you came, you did some more in um, 2017, didn't you? The, the phone had changed completely since then people don't seem to speak on the phone anymore they're just too busy looking at it aren't they yeah i did a little mini update of trigger happy and uh, it was all new characters except for actually my least favorite thing in trigger happy which is the phone but i had to update the phone because phones have just totally changed when i did it obviously you just just spoke into it now there's everything so my new big mobile character was live vlogging food in a restaurant he was on some sort of tinder type thing and uh, yeah obviously i think it's a screen so i had a sort of a large smartphone and it was like a facetime type thing it's one of the things that uh, i really enjoyed that you did was a sort of travel around places that people wouldn't normally go to like chernobyl for instance uh, what was your favorite location in in, in your book dark tourist in the dark tourist well probably it was north korea because i mean north I mean, my favorite was cambodia I mean, cambodia is such a stunning country and i kind of went to uh, basically I'd heard that there was a place where you could for a certain amount of dollars blow up a cow with an RPG and it wasn't something I wanted to do but I wanted to see if that kind of tourism had developed in Cambodia and it had uh, by the time I got there the cow was not available but I was offered I could rake some chickens with an AK-47 for $10 which again I said no to but North Korea was the probably the most interesting because where I like traveling is places that are off the beaten track you're miles from a Starbucks you're not too many British tourists and North Korea really is just off the planet in the sense that it's just completely cut off from the world. It's it's like nothing you've ever been to. It's sort of like it's like the end scene in a Bond film when you go to the baddies lair and everyone's dressed the same and the colours have been taken out of the palette. It's an incredible place. And, and do, do they do they have kind of the same humour as us? Did you watch any TV? Did they did they have it's, kind it's of very prank difficult. TV? I hate the word prank, but it's oh, very you? difficult to go. It's very difficult to go anywhere. Uh, where Mr. Bean is not playing, but I can tell you that uh, it's not playing on 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 TV in North Korea. T North Korea TV, they have two channels. One one is continually just plays martial music and marching bands, and the other one, quite extraordinarily, had Piers Morgan on it. So unfortunately, they're not <laughs> the poor poor things are not spared that. But, How on uh, earth was weird, Piers Morgan on North know. Korea TV? I don't know. They were showing some very censored part of BBC World, and I turned it on, and there was Piers Morgan, and I thought, God, there is no country in the world you can get away from this man. But actually, they did have a Pyongyang International Film Festival, and they decided they were very, very difficult to find a film that sort of got past the censors. And in the end, they did go with Mr. Bean's Holiday. Uh, but they had, even though it was purely a silent film, they had a man who stood at the side of the stage and sort of 
with a loud hailer basically tried to translate what was happening to a very bemused audience. So you're you're about to go on stage, aren't you, in a, in a one-man show? Well, I'm basically I'm, I'm promoting my new book, which is the Hezbollah Hiking Club, in which I walked across Lebanon last year with a couple of friends. And I walked from the Israeli border in the south to the Syrian border in the north. It took 30 days. And so as part of that, I'm promoting the book by going on a 53-night tour called Dom Jolly's Holiday Snaps. And the idea is that I think a lot of people don't really understand why someone they know for dressing as a squirrel and crawling across a road dressed as a snail is in North Korea and all these weird places. So it's a show that really just explains why I love travel. It has a lot of weird photos and stories and clips from all my travel, both comedy and travel writing. I've been to over 100 countries and really blaming the whole thing on Pinton, which is where it all started. Uh, you were you were born in Lebanon and, and, and lived your oh, early yeah. life there. Has it changed much from your memory? Well, totally, because obviously when I grew up there, it was in the middle of a hideous civil war and it was probably the most dangerous country on earth. I mean, now one of the things I wanted to do with the book was show that even though people still think of Lebanon, you know, they associate Beirut and Lebanon with war. There actually hasn't been a war, a proper war there since 1990. Uh, and it's one of the most incredible countries to visit both for food and just stunning, stunning Roman architecture and amazing, and, and actually the hiking itself is incredible and no one goes. So part of me, it's one of the travel writer's nightmares is that part of me is really loves the fact that I have Lebanon to myself but the other half is thinking, this is just crazy and, and especially at the moment the Lebanese economy is going through a really bad time and there's a slight run on the banks and what they really, really need is people to go there and, and tourists and I would recommend that highly. So you'd recommend that rather than Pyongyang, would you? Well, I'd recommend both. I mean, it's uh, up to your taste certainly for a family holiday North Korea is probably not a great place to go uh, yeah I mean Lebanon is an absolute no-brainer for a holiday you've got you know where I lived I lived in the middle of the pine forests like California and it was an ass the ski slopes and ass the beach I mean what's not to love you said you've been to over a hundred countries where would yeah. you you still crave a visit to then where would you love to go to now well, my absolute top one I really want to go to is Algeria. I'm, I've been trying to get in for ages. I've been twice. There was stuff going on and I couldn't get in. But Algeria is absolutely high on my list. I'm sort of obsessed with Algiers. Uh, I love the fact that Algeria was literally a part of France. It wasn't a colony. It was a, literally it was part of the French mainland. And there's an incredible film called The Battle of Algiers, which talks about well, really early suicide bombing and the fight against French colonialism, uh, which is one of the great films of all time. So I'm obsessed with Algeria. I really want to go there. And Yemen is another place I really want to go to, which I've nearly been to twice. And uh, again, I've timed it badly. But there's loads of places I want to go to. You said you didn't like the word prank when we were talking before. Uh, no, I, I apologise for using it. But is, oh, there, it doesn't matter. Is, there a ch is there a chance that we will see Trigger Happy again? Well, it's weird. I mean, part of me doesn't want to. But then actually, I just got approached by a studio in uh, L.A., uh, with a whole lot of people that grew up on Trigger Happy and loved it and feel that there is room for it to do it again. I see no problem with doing it again just because really Trigger Happy as a thing was just anything that's funny goes in. So it's not it's not particularly dated to any time. And uh, it's not, you know, it's something I could easily do now. I just go after new targets like people vaping and cycle lanes and things like that. So it's, it's not an issue. I do think there's a certain age where you sort of can't be what that horrible term prankster but in the world of hidden camera and doing some interesting stuff i think there's a possibility i might 
think about doing some sort of trigger happy movie across America. I mean, certainly America's ripe for having a go at at the moment. I'm sorry, Tom, you may not want to do it, but I, I promise you, those of us who loved it when it first came out, we would relish you going back. Um, so if you could, that'd be great. Well, I'll, I'll dust off my squirrel suit then and get out there. I just don't <laughs> want to end up, you know, America, of course, they literally are trigger happy. That's the problem. So yeah. what I don't want to do is be running down some street in Arkansas dressed as a squirrel and be gunned down. It'd be an amazing way to go. It'd be, that would be the final perfect epitaph <laughs> yeah. for, for Dom Jolly. It yeah. It's been great speaking to you. Thanks so much for joining us, Dom. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where our critics get to the heart of the critical matter. First up, the Daily Mail's film critic, uh, Mr Brian Viner. Brian, uh, what have you been watching this week? Well, I've had the misfortune to sit through Doolittle. Uh, I'll come on to my feelings about it, but first of all... <laughs> I think, we've got, I think yeah. we've got a clue there, <laughs> yeah. Brian. I'll come on to that, but uh, just to give you a little kind of synopsis of it, uh, it stars Robert Downey Jr. in the title role. He plays Dr Doolittle, this Victorian doctor who can speak to animals. He's holed up in this mansion in the English countryside somewhere. He's mourning the death of his wife. He's become a recluse. He has a great big long beard. He can only get his kicks out of his kind of animal companions. And then the Queen's lady-in-waiting, Queen Victoria's lady-in-waiting, comes to see him because the Queen has fallen gravely ill. Queen played by Jessie Buckley in a bizarrely kind of understated part. I mean, she's basically lying in a bed, not saying anything for the entire movie whenever you see her. And the only way to cure the Queen is to go and find the fruit of the Eden tree, which is somewhere in some on some distant island and so dr doolittle and all his animals and uh, his kind of su- human sidekick who's a young lad go off in search of the fruit of the eden tree and i think we might even have a clip are you dr doolittle we've no choice but to embark on this perilous journey everyone pack your bags <laughs> you can talk to animals Astonishingly, Brian, given that synopsis you've just given us, it's not worked as a movie, has it, in the States? No, I mean, it's it's bombed terribly. It's opening weekend, you know, did very little, comparatively little business. It cost a fortune. It was 175 million production costs, and it's going to lose a fortune as well. Universal have just made Cats, and I know that I am dogged, ironically, (laughs) by my review of Cats, having been the only person who liked it. But, you know, they really needed a hit after that. So I don't think they'll be touching animals anytime soon again, because this is another flop. Robert Downey Jr.'s accent is if he plays he plays Dr. Doolittle as a Welshman. Uh, ironically, he's playing opposite Michael Sheen, who is genuinely a Welshman, who plays an Englishman, who could have given old Robert Downey a bit more of a, a help with his, with his dodgy <laughs> South Glamorgan accent. But the whole film, the accents aside, the whole film is just kind of charmless. It tries so hard to amuse children. It's got flatulence jokes, and it's, you know, it has a fox riding on the head of a giraffe at one point, and it's got a polar bear getting out of a stagecoach and all those things that you think would just delight audiences of kids but the whole thing is just it just lacks charm um, uh, th- th- I mean the animals yeah. clearly th- do they talk I mean they obviously do talk the animals but does that talk. work are, are, yeah. is it funny is yeah, there any got, amusement from well, that well you have, you have some very distinguished actors and actresses playing the voicing the animals as Emma Thompson is is 
Polynesia, the parrot, and you've got Rami Malek and all kinds of people. Ray Fiennes plays a tiger. So, you know, some distinguished voices, but it just it just the whole thing does not it's, it's, a, it's a mess and um for some reason they gave it the director is a guy called stephen gagan who's who made uh, syriana i don't know if you remember seeing that back in 2005 thereabouts uh, which is a very serious kind of geopolitical thriller and he wrote the script for traffic which was stephen soderbergh's great movie so why give him this film that's just all about kind of whimsy and he and he just um, and it's very very leaden it just doesn't really work so it's a mess is it uh it is so yes it is absolutely a miss and that's not the only welsh accent you've been dealing with this week (laughs) is it brian no there's um there's a rather better welsh accent in a film called mr jones in which uh, james norton plays a welsh journalist true story who in the early 1930s goes to Moscow because he wants to interview Stalin. Uh, He's already managed to interview Hitler. It's all true. And he has gone back and he's warned the Foreign Office, for whom he also works, that Hitler is a dangerous cove and you know the trouble is brewing but they don't really they they dismiss him and eventually he loses his job goes off to moscow wants to interview stalin and basically isn't hoodwinked as a lot of the other foreign journalists are in moscow by the idea that everything is is fine in the soviet union in the early 30s and he's heard that there is a famine in the ukraine and he goes out his foreign journalists aren't allowed there but he manages to get there and he finds terrible suffering and he comes back and he reports it and that's that's basically the movie and i think we have a clip the soviet union is not the workers paradise that was promised It is not the great experiment that you read about in the press. Stalin is not the man who you think he is. Are you saying there's no hope? Norton is being touted as the next James Bond. Is it a James Bond-style action movie? Um, No, there's not much of Bond in it. And he's, uh, yeah, he could play Bond as a Welshman, maybe, because he gets that bit right. Yeah, he'd be, I think he'd be a pretty serviceable Bond. He's very good in it, actually. It's a very very good film made by a Polish director called Agnieszka Holland. I don't know if I've pronounced her first name right. And it is... It's good. It's long. It's a bit too long. It's two hours and 20 minutes. There's a very powerful sequence, or more than a sequence, but a a chunk in the middle of the film where he goes out to the Ukraine and he, too, ends up starving almost to death. And it's, I mean, it takes a bit of getting through, but it's very powerfully done. It tells a true story very, very well, pretty faithfully, as far as I can gather. And, um, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's good, but is it going to work as a movie? Is it a hit well, or a miss? It, 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 is, it has a limited release. It's going to take a little bit of finding. I don't think it's going to be on in, in cinemas everywhere, so you're going to have to dig it out. But if you can find it, uh, I would hope that you would agree with me that it is a hit. And Agent Thrills, the Daily Mail's music critic. Well, this has been a big week for a big old name, hasn't it? Indeed it has, Jim. Yep, she's back in town. The Queen of Pop, Madonna, launched her her London residency last week, albeit delayed because the first night was cancelled due to an unspecified injury. I think it was like a knee or a hip injury that she uh, 
she kind of picked up while rehearsing and uh, there's a lot of action in the show yeah she's back from a london residency at the london palladium which is a much more intimate show than we're used to with with madonna i mean she of course she kind of pioneered the real the modern arena pop show i think going as far back as the blonde ambition tour in 1990 and that set a template really for for most pop shows since then in terms of its theatricality and its various different acts but this was a slightly different thing this is um it's a theater show it's hardly stripped down it still has all the whistles and bells but it's it's madonna in a kind of much more engaging intimate style she sometimes can seem a bit remote during her arena shows uh, she also banned mobile phones, which is uh, an interesting... Because, I mean, it's extraordinary when you look at a, a, a pop star coming out to the edge of the stage and everyone's looking through their it's mobile. It's become a... Um, so she did this, why? why? What was her reasoning? So she wanted, I think her quote was, we want you to be in the present, just enjoying the show, living in the moment. And and I, I agree with that to an extent. I think it's it can get really frustrating when you go to these big arena concerts and everyone's actually watching it. I've seen people holding up iPads, just filming the whole show on an iPad rather than just in enjoying what's so supposed to be. So did it change the experience, not having a, well, a, a, a phone in front of your face? Yeah, I think it did. And I think it. Um, she's not the first to do it. I think Jack White did it. Sam Smith's done it. Adele has, maybe not going so far as banning it, but has told people to put their phones away and just enjoy the show. And I have mixed feelings about it because sometimes there's some shows I've been to I've seen kind of hip-hop acts at um, the Brixton Academy, Stormzy and Macklemore, where everyone's, they're up and they're bopping as well, but they're actually just holding their phones aloft and it kind of adds slightly to the energy and colour of the experience. But I think these sit-down arena shows or theatre shows, it, it does detract somewhat from the uh, the overall experience. And the other thing about it is it was phenomenally expensive. I don't know how much you paid, Adrian, but I think you can pay up to a grand, well, can't you, to go along? Uh, as the critics, we're fortunate, uh, fortunate enough. She didn't to, charge you. Uh, we, she, we weren't charged, no. But, I mean, is it um, worth paying a grand to go and see Madonna well, sit on the front row? Is it worth if it? I mean, it's, it's supply and demand, and it's it's a value judgment that the fans make she has the most formidable back catalogue let's just hear a bit from her now that phenomenal back catalogue spanning 35 years is it a greatest hit show well it's not really she does she does dip into it we just heard frozen there that was a real highlight of the show she sang that song behind a translucent curtain onto which images of her 23 year old daughter lords i mean dancing were projected so you had this kind of young woman who, who looks very like a young madonna doing these incredibly graceful moves and then the older Madonna in the background singing and it was a really powerful moment actually in in a show that to a large extent it was it was framed by her move to Lisbon she moved um, five or six years ago I think to uh, to the Portuguese capital to further the football career of her, of her adopted Malawian son David Banda he's on the youth academy at Benfica and apparently is a very promising footballer so Madonna's moved her family lock stock and barrel from New York to Lisbon where she's discovered the the local 
club scene and particularly the fado music of, of Portugal, which which is very much informed the the Madame X album and, and given a, a much more global perspective on her music. And there was some really powerful. It was a bit of an overlooked album at the time, but hearing those songs live in an intimate setting, there's one track called Batuca where she brought on this this huge Cape Verdean choir with a couple of percussionists and delivered a really powerful performance. It's a long day. It's a long day. Lord of mercy. Lord mercy. Things have got to change. There's a storm ahead. One of the things about Madonna, I don't want to give too much of, uh, away about my age, but I saw her about 1990 and I thought she was the best mover I have ever seen on a stage, even better than Michael Jackson. Can she still do that? I mean, that, was, that would have been the Blonde Ambition tour itself, which was a, which a great tour. And um, she is still incredibly lithe and athletic. I mean, there were times when her movements were a little bit stiff, I think down to the the injury but i mean she was doing the splits she was doing somersaults kind of cartwheels well I mean, not cartwheels but handstands she's a, a very compelling performer still and uh, certainly seeing and seeing her show in a more intimate setting you really got a feeling of of the performer so given the cost given the fact you can't take your mobile in is it a hit or a miss and it's a show low on hits but for me it was definitely a hit well, as they say, Adrian, follow that. Who else have you been listening yeah, well, to? Well, this uh, the big album this week for me is the it's the third album by a, a London singer called Ellie Jackson, otherwise known as Larue, and she hasn't exactly been the most prolific of uh, of artists. She made her first album eleven years ago, and this is only the third one since then. Um, but she she emerged as as part of a wave of elect- female electro pop singers along the same. There was Lady Hawk, there was Lady Gaga, there was Larue little boots and they've all had had varying degrees of success obviously lady gaga has become a superstar larue she's done okay the first album was very i think we're going to hear a clip of bulletproof which was a number one hit single for her in 2009 and that was very much in the classic vein of of british electro pop there was elements of eurythmics or yuzu you could kind of see the lineage there Right, that that is so you can Yazoo, hear, not you can, you, can, you can hear you can hear the eighties seeping through every pore of that song, can't you? She's moved on since then. I think the new album, Supervision, firstly, she's no longer working with the same guy that was part of the duo, the producer. Ben Langmade and uh, she's she's working with a, a variety of different collaborators and she's modified the sound somewhat it's a, it's a kind of more contemporary feel to her music now it's a bit warmer more supple more sophisticated there's a really good track called International Woman of Leisure which I guess it's kind of inverting the kind of international playboy metaphor and kind of from a, from a pe- female perspective and it's kind of celebrating it's it's a kiss off to an old flame i think but it's kind of celebrating her a newfound independence and uh, it's it's a nice a much more kind of supple sophisticated sound and hit or miss i'll give this one a hit as well 
Now the last of this week's hits and misses. This time, what's coming up on television with Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television critic. So, Claudia, what is coming up on TV? Well, Sunday there's a new drama starting on BBC One, The Pale Horse. It's a two-part drama and it's an adaptation of an Agatha Christie novel, another one. And it's a murder mystery, as they all are. It's about a central character called Mark Easterbrook and he discovers that his name is on a list of people and found on a dead woman and one by one these people are all being killed off and he has to try and find out who the murderer is and why his name is on the list and I think we have a clip here Mark Easterbrook Yes, why am I here? Miss Jessie Davis I found dead this morning I don't know what it's got to do with me I didn't know her But she knew you reason why your name might be on a list. No in danger. Well, nearly all the people on here are dead. Now that sounds full of atmosphere. The music playing in the background yeah. and uh, does it work? It does work. It's it's well it, it hasn't been on yet but it's already upset people because um it's an adaptation by a lady called Sarah Phelps and she's done a couple of others for the BBC. She did um Ordeal by Innocence and she did the ABC Murders and she doesn't stay true to the Agatha Christie books with the permission of the Agatha Christie estate. She sort of goes off road a little bit and that upsets some of the Agatha Christie purists. So I'm afraid they're going to be upset this weekend as well because she she drops characters and the central character Character, Mark Easterbrook. In this, he's a bit of a womanising cad, which he isn't in the book at all. That's Rufus Sewell, but it, it works very well. I think I think that's it's a good twist to add. So the liberties work. For yeah, you. I, I think they do. I, th- I really like her work, and it's it's very stylish, good performances, and it's it's only two parts. So it's yeah, I think it works really well. It is extraordinary how much television still relies on old Agatha yes, Christie. Yeah. Isn't it? this was one of her last books. It was said at the time that this was unusual for her. It's quite Quite, for Agatha Christie, it's quite a dark novel. It introduces themes of witchcraft and Satanism and things like that. So it's it's one of her darker works. Darker, but good? Uh, did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it, yeah. I can't wait to see the second part, yes. So it's a hit. And what else have you seen? I've also looked at something called Lock and Key, which is new to Netflix from today. I would say it's a supernatural horror. It's the story of a, an all-American family who suffer a tragedy and they end up moving to um, a gothic haunted mansion and uh, terrible things start to happen. I think we have a clip here. Key house is filled with amazing keys. Listen for them. They whisper isn't a game. We don't know what these keys unlock. Lock and key <laughs> clearly, well, clearly f- fills the entire script as well. Lots of talk of locks and keys. It's, it's uh, the family of the lock family, and the house that they go to live at is Key House. Do you see what they did there? Lock and key. Is this an original or is this uh, an adaptation, it's of, an adaptation a, of a crime of, novel? Of a, a comic book series, and it's quite interesting that two previous uh, broadcasters, HBO and Fox, tried to adapt it. And I think one got as far as doing a pilot, and both of them dropped it. And I think there's there's probably a bit of a message there <laughs> it's um i mean horror's had a real sort of makeover in the last few years and it's become really popular but this there's this show is it's just a bit hammy and it, it it's cliched i mean the haunted house cliche the theme is that there are a series of keys found throughout the house and the keys unlock rooms and behind each room is a, a terrible dark secret and there's also a very glamorous demon living in the bottom of a well who sort of whispers guidance to the children who live in the house 
I felt a bit like I was watching an episode of Scooby-Doo, but just with much, <laughs> much better special effects. So worth getting your Netflix sub subscription up to date for? I'm, I'm afraid not. I have to say that this was a miss. Now you know what's worth seeing and really what isn't worth getting out of bed for. My thanks to Brian, Adrian and Claudia. The actor Kirk Douglas, whose Hollywood career spanned seven decades, has died aged 103. He was born in New York in 1916 and earned his first nomination for the Oscars 71 years ago for the film Champion. He was perhaps best known for his role as the titular character in the 1960 classic Spartacus. And he was also the father of the Oscar-winning actor Michael Douglas. With me to recall an extraordinary career is the woman who knows, the male's own Jackie Stephen. Uh, That was some innings, Jackie, wasn't it? It really was. uh, Just extraordinary. 103 years, 90 movies over seven decades, three Oscar nominations. And, you know, everyone is calling him. He was an icon. uh, He was a superstar. He was a real Hollywood hero. He wasn't just an actor. He was a star. And we're losing the stars you know, by the minute, it seems, at the moment. And he joins that long list of male leads, Burt Lancaster, Gregory Peck, Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, all left us now. But, uh, you know, they will live on in their movies. Uh, you say he was a star. He was also a bit of a, uh, a rebel rouser, wasn't he? I mean, it's extraordinary. He lived as long as he did, given the life he led. Well, he was very political with regard to Hollywood. He really set, he set up his own production company in order to get rid of the blacklisting in Hollywood. And at the time, that was an incredibly brave thing to do because it risked his own career to do that. But even with his roles, he said that he actually liked having those sort of scallywag roles. There was always a bit of mischief about him, both professionally and personally. Spartacus is obviously the thing. It's being shown on all the obituaries of him on the television and so on. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. Yes. No, you are, Jackie. <laughs> You're Spartacus. But that moment, <laughs> I, I believe that moment was his, wasn't it? I, it, it? It was his idea that everybody should stand it. I don't think it was in the script, or have I been making that up? I don't know that. You could just be making that up because it's quite a big part of the movie. It's the part <laughs> so we it all remember. It's quite a big part of the movie as well. But uh, he d- didn't win an Oscar. Uh, he got a special Oscar uh, presented to him by Steven Spielberg uh, much later on in life. But apparently his first Oscar, he said, was an ice cream cone given to him by his father. He was in the second grade in school and he played a shoemaker in a play. And his father gave him an ice cream cone pretending it was an Oscar. And I thought that was really sweet. That is a brilliant story. It was the only one he was going to get anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, his son, of course, won uh, an Oscar, Michael Douglas. We kind of think of Michael Douglas as being a a senior figure in Hollywood. Um, And yet his dad was still around until this month. Did the two of them get on? Were they they still as close as ever? I think that they got on fantastically. And apparently Michael Douglas's last words to his father were, I love you and I'm proud to be your son. But I think with all those Hollywood dynasties, they're always difficult. Michael Douglas has had a very fractious relationship with his son. And of course, Kirk Douglas uh, lost his son, Eric, who died of an overdose in his 40s in 2004. So there's tragedy always mixed in with the family relationships in these situations. 
Kirk was just spanned the decades. I mean, that was that was the extraordinary thing. I mean, this was living history, wasn't it, that that he embodied? It really was. And although it's 103 years, it's still incredibly sad. It's sad when anyone dies, really. But it's an end of an era. It's not just the loss of a life. It, this is the end of an era. And do you see anyone? I mean, you mentioned that he was one of the the grandest of of Hollywood stars. Do you do you see anyone matching that on the horizon? I think that Michael Douglas might well do it. I think he's an extraordinary actor. Looks incredibly like his father. The same good looks. His father was more muscular, though, and played much more muscular roles. But I think Michael Douglas has the same kind of charisma. One of the things that Steven Spielberg said uh, this week was that uh, he retained his movie star charisma right to the end. He said that about Kirk Douglas. And I think that Michael Douglas will probably have the same. Uh, Of course, his daughter-in-law is Catherine Zeta-Jones. And the key question we're all asking is what will she be wearing to the funeral you see you welsh women you know what to wear in these circumstances <laughs> we also know where to pick a rich man well she <laughs> knew how to pick a rich man i haven't had so much luck as you know jackie thank you so much for joining us and that's it from it's friday this week thanks to all my guests and thank you to you for listening don't forget to subscribe on apple podcasts google and spotify and leave us a review and if you'd like to get in touch email us at it's friday at mailplus.co.uk we'll be back next friday and every week with your mail plus briefings at mailplus.co.uk but for now i'm jim white goodbye 